I hope you picked up a copy of the, uh, of the uh, sermon notes. If you did not, uh, I would ask you uh, to definitely pick up a copy on your way out uh, today uh, because uh, I, I constructed these notes really in a fashion for you to take them with you today. Uh, to just sort of provides an introduction to what is a very a brand new study uh, today. And, uh, and I believe it will be very, very beneficial uh, to you. But I'm very excited about this study. Uh, and this is the uh, first sermon in that study on Ezra, uh, Nehemiah, and Esther in the uh, Old Testament. Now, I knew with the Lord's Supper, uh, I'd have very, very little, little time. Uh, so that's why I basically have provided what I did, uh, something you can take with you and uh, review it uh, this week, and I think it will greatly help you. So all I really want to do, it won't, this won't be one of the more uh, maybe uh, uh, dynamic presentations, but I just simply want to uh, walk through this with you very, very quickly, and then we'll just make the transition into the uh, Lord's Supper. Uh, but you'll notice that I entitled this new sermon series, The Good Hand of God. The Good Hand of God Restoring and Preserving His People. And the reason for that title, by the way, that phrase, the good hand of God, we will see is repeated numerous times in the book of Ezra and also in the book of Nehemiah. It's the writer's way uh, to give God the glory, uh, to acknowledge what was accomplished was not accomplished by human might, but by God's hand, and to give him the credit uh, for that. And we'll, as we walk through this study, we'll see the occasions in which that phrase is used. But if you'll notice that uh, introduction, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther are the last three of the 17 historical, Old Testament historical books. Uh, the three books, I believe, should be studied together uh, because they highlight God's mercy and faithfulness in fulfilling His promise to restore Israel after He had judged the nation for their persistent unbelief and sin. And many of you, not all of you, but many of you are uh, familiar enough with your biblical history that judgment is known as the 70-year Babylonian uh, captivity. Uh, so again, uh, God's people fell into unbelief. They fell into sin. We'll talk a little bit more about this next Sunday. Fell into idolatry, a gross immorality, and even into inhumanity where they uh, the culture lost the basis for the dignity and worth of human life and began to shed innocent blood. And because of their unbelief, because of their sin, uh, God uh, judged them. But these three books are about God's mercy in restoring them. Uh, because remember when God judged his people, at the same time he was judging them, he gave them numerous promises that uh, the judgment will not be the final word. Uh, I still love you, and I'll be faithful to the promises I've given you, and I will eventually restore you back into the land after that captivity. Uh, going on in that statement in the introduction, uh, God's judgment, uh, as many of you know, resulted 
of course, in the fall of the nation to the Babylonian Empire, which was the greatest world empire in that day, uh, the greatest military might that had ever been known on the face of the earth uh, up until that point in history. It resulted in the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. I mean, it was literally left in rubbles, including the destruction of their house of worship, Solomon's uh, temple. And of course, as I've already alluded to, the people literally were led away. Those that were not killed uh, were led away into captivity, uh, into 70 years of servitude in the land of Babylon. They were taken uh, uh, probably about eight, 900 miles uh, away uh, from Jerusalem into uh, the empire of Babylon itself. And so the books of Ezra and Nehemiah focus on three Jewish remnants which returned to Jerusalem following their 70-year captivity in Babylon, while the book of Esther has to do with the much larger number of Jews who remained in the land of their captivity. So, uh, very important for you to know. So, Ezra and Nehemiah, the focus is on three groups of Jews that returned to Jerusalem in fulfillment of God's promise uh, to restore the nation, while the book of Esther actually addresses the much larger group of Jews that remained in the land of their uh, cap captivity. Uh, that next paragraph in your notes, the three Jewish groups who returned to Jerusalem, those three returns span over nine decades. So there's some significant history in these three books. They actually cover about a hundred-year period of time. The first two returns, the first two returns are the subject of the book of Ezra, and that's where we will begin our study next Sunday. While the third return is the subject of the book of Nehemiah. Uh, the first return was in 538 B.C., and that return was under the leadership of a man named Jerubbabel. He was a civil servant. He was also a descendant of King David. And that first return is all about restoring God's people to their homeland in Israel, because again, they had been in servitude. They had uh, been led away into captivity for 70 years. So it's about bringing them back, restoring them to their homeland. And then the other focus is it's all about uh, rebuilding the temple in order to establish uh, right off the get-go uh, their number one priority, uh, worshiping uh, God and, uh, and, and following Him. The second return uh, that also is dealt with in the book of Ezra, actually takes place 80 years after the first return. So there's an 80-year gap between Jerubbabel's return and the second return that was led by Ezra. Ezra, as you see, was a priest. He was a scribe, and, uh, and it took place in 458 B.C. And that second return, the real focus is on the reformation of the people through the instruction of God's law. Uh, you'll see, we'll see how uh, Ezra was a, a man of the book. And it was almost like a back-to-the-Bible movement 
uh, in Israel as a result of his return as he challenged people with the teaching of God's word and not only to know God's word but to, to, to live God's word, to follow God's word. And then the third return came 13 years after Ezra's uh, return. Uh, that came in 445 BC. It was under the leadership of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah actually was a cupbearer in the uh, king of Persia's uh, court. Uh, you remember there was a Babylonian empire that uh, destroyed Jerusalem, led the people away into captivity. But it was then the Medes and the Persians that overthrew the Babylonian empire uh, towards the end of that 70-year captivity. And uh, Nehemiah was a Jew, and he was the cupbearer of the king of uh, Persia. And he leads that third return, and most of you know uh, what that third return was all about. It was about what? Rebuilding the walls of uh, Jerusalem. But, but we often forget this, not only rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, but reviving the people inside those walls. Uh, the, the situation was pretty pitiful at the time of his return in terms of the economic conditions of the people and uh, just their morale and their, and their spirit. So it was all about rebuilding the wall, but also reconstituting the, the children of Israel as a family and to see them revived in spirits and morality as they would put their uh, trust uh, in, in God. And by the way, when we talk about these three returns, uh, we're talking about returns of eight to 900 miles that they had to travel uh, that took them months and months and months to complete, and especially uh, the, uh, the first two returns that had a more significant number of uh, women and uh, children in, in their group. And uh, this return was not only long, uh, it was a very... Uh, uh, dangerous trip that they had to take. That's why there's this emphasis on the good hand of God that sort of sheltered them and protect them and led them through that journey to uh, uh, bring them uh, successfully to and safely to uh, Jerusalem. Now, the next statement there in your notes, the events in the book of Esther, those events took place in the gap between the two Jewish returns recorded in Ezra. And of course, the book of Esther deals with God preserving his people that were still in, Cap that, that were still in Babylon, still in Persia, uh, from a plot uh, to uh, basically annihilate uh, the Jewish people. So again, Ezra, the first part of Ezra, chapters 1 through 6, deal with the first return under Jerubbabel where they uh, rebuild the temple. That's where that sixth chapter ends. And then uh, the second half of Ezra deals with Ezra's return, but there's that 80-year gap. And it's right there that the book events of the book of Esther took place. Now, in our study, we're going to study all of this chronologically. So what we will do, we will study those first six chapters in Ezra first that deals with Jerubbabel's return. And then we will turn to the book of Esther to look at the events there. And then we'll come back to Ezra, the second half of Ezra, to deal with Ezra's return. So this entire study, we're going to do it in a chronological uh, fashion. Now, 
also, you'll notice in your notes, in studying Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, we also are going to tie in the last three of the 17 prophetical books, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And the reason for this is, is that God raised these three prophets up to minister to God's people during this historical period. So when uh, we come to the point in the story where these prophets are interjected, which is basically Ezra 5, if you're familiar with the story, you know that first return, their primary job was to rebuild the temple. And you remember they laid the foundation, but then adversaries opposed them. And because of fear and discouragement, they give up on the real rebuilding project for 15 years. And then God, at that point, raised up Haggai and Zechariah to rebuke the people, but then also to encourage the people to finish the project. So when we come to Ezra 5, we'll tie in. Not, not, we won't go through all of the books, uh, every, you know, verse by verse through Haggai, Haggai and Zechariah or, or Malachi, but we'll deal with those parts that are very pertinent uh, to our story. Then you'll notice concerning the author there in your sermon notes, uh, concerning Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, the most widely held position in Jewish tradition is that Ezra is the author of both books and that originally they were one book, that Ezra and Nehemiah were originally one book written by Ezra. Ezra. Now, we, we don't know that with certainty that he's the author, but that is the most widely held position, and it is Jewish tradition. Tr Jewish tradition also recognizes Ezra as the author of First and Second Chronicles. The author of Esther is just unknown, uh, although, uh, as you see there in your notes, Mordecai, who's a prominent figure in the book of Esther, remember Esther's uncle, he suggested as a possible author also Ezra and Nehemiah. Now you'll notice as you continue there in your sermon notes, and I'm not going to go over this in detail, but themes and outlines. And so I've given you a very basic outline of each of the books and with the theme. So first you have Ezra. The theme of Ezra is restoration. Restoration. Uh, I, I put a, a verse there. That verse is taken from uh, Lamentations. I think it just sort of captures the spirit of the book of, of Ezra. It says, though he, God, cause grief, he will have compassion. And that's what we see in the book of Ezra. Although God had caused grief through his judgment as a result of the Babylonian captivity, he had compassion on his people. And he fulfilled his promise in returning them uh, to the land. You'll see there in your notes that the book of Ezra is divided very, very clearly very obviously into two major sections. Uh, the first section is the first return under Jerubbabel, as we've already mentioned, which is chapters 1 through 6, where the focus, again, is uh, uh, re-erecting uh, re the altar, rebuilding the uh, temple. Uh, you have the prophets Haggai and Zechariah in that period. And then the second half of the book, chapters 7 through 10, deal with the return under uh, Ezra as he confronts the people over their compromise and sin and then restores the people to God through confession and obedience to God's word. Then you move to the book of Nehemiah. The theme there is reconstruction. 
And uh, I love this uh, verse taken from 1 Corinthians uh, 15, uh, verse 58. I think it captures, again, the spirit of Nehemiah. Be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing your labor is not in vain. And the reason that verse captures the spirit of the book of Nehemiah, if you know anything about this book, it's all about overcoming opposition because they were met with adversities that surrounded them on every side trying to prevent uh, them from completing the project of rebuilding uh, the walls. And uh, this book can uh, very easily be divided into two major sections. Uh, First, you have chapters 1 through 6, the actual reconstructing of the uh, walls. Uh, You'll see uh, chapter 1, we find Nehemiah interceding to God over the, the reproach, the condition of the state of Jerusalem. Uh, Chapter 2 is when he actually leads that third return, and on his return, he challenges the people to arise and build the walls. And then uh, chapter 3, he begins the rebuilding project. And then chapters 4 through 6 is all about uh, both external opposition and internal division that Nehemiah had to confront and overcome in completing the walls, which they did in a miraculous 52 days. Literally was a a miracle that they were able to accomplish that feat in that short of a period of time. And then the second half of the book is all about reviving the people inside the city, inside those walls. So you see chapter 7, we'll see how the people are organized into a unified community. Chapter 8, The people are revived through the teaching of God's Word. We'll see Ezra coming in at this point, uh, what's known as the revival at the water gate. And then uh, chapters 9 and 10, we find the people repenting and renewing their commitment to obey God's Word. Chapter 11 and 12, God's people repopulate Jerusalem and dedicate the wall. And then chapter 13, uh, you see the ongoing need for God's people to know correction and repentance. And then when we come to the book of Esther, the theme is preservation. So Ezra, we have restoration, Nehemiah reconstruction, Esther preservation. And I I drew this from uh, the Psalms, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. And just in parenthesis there, even when God is strangely silent, he remains actively sovereign. And, uh, And we'll see those... You've noticed how I've divided the book into two major sections of chapters 1 through 5. The crisis is anticipated by God. And what's the crisis? Is an evil man by the name of Haman that would sort of like be the Hitler of the Old Testament who devised a plot uh, to commit genocide against the uh, Jewish uh, race. Uh, but we see how God in that crisis was anticipated by God. And then in chapters 6 through 10, we see how that crisis was overruled by God as he protected and preserved his people. And then very, very quickly, uh, as we make our transition to Lord's Supper, key lessons. These are the lessons that we will see repeatedly as we go through this study. As we work ourselves through Ezra, uh, Esther, Nehemiah, as we tie in the prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, we will continue to be brought back to these key lessons. And uh, let me just give them to you, but with no comment, and then we'll move into the Lord's Supper. 
The first lesson that we're going to see is God is sovereign. And God can overrule all authorities and adversaries to turn events around to favor His people and to accomplish His plans. It's amazing to see in all three of these books how God moves in the hearts of heathen kings, unbelievers, uh, some very wicked, evil individuals, but He moved in their hearts, turned their hearts uh, to favor His people and restoring them to the land. And then, of course, the second one is, is uh, it's so obvious, but, but we don't want to miss the power of it. It's that God is faithful to keep His promises. You can trust Him. When God uh, gave them uh, the warning of judgment and they failed to heed that warning, he, every warning of judgment, He also, there was the promise of what? Restoration. And He was good to fulfill that promise. And then in relationship to that, that third lesson Although God disciplines His people, He does not discard them. He ordains discipline for His people's restoration, not their ruin. In other words, if you're God's child and He disciplines you, it's not to ruin you, it's to restore you. He loves you. Nothing can ever alter His disposition of love toward you. Uh, the final word, that last sentence there in, that for, in this third lesson, the final word will never be the failure of God's people. It will be the triumph of God's love. The fourth lesson, opposition to God's work will be innumerable and inescapable, but praise God, He is invincible. And we see this in all three of these books, whether it's rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls, or the attempt of genocide in, in Esther, opposition, opposition, opposition. And we need to realize whenever God opens a door of opportunity of service, there will be those to obstruct us, to prevent us from entering that door. And God allows that for the testing of our faith, the building up of our, our, our faith. The development of our character as we learn to stand strong for Him. And then the next lesson, more important than the success of God's work, is the character development of God's workers. Therefore, learning, loving, and living God's Word in prayer must be priorities. And you will not be able to miss this truth, especially in Ezra and Nehemiah. Both of these men, along with Jerubbabel, were great men of God whose lives were rooted in the Scriptures. They were men dependent upon prayer, and uh, you'll see that very, very clearly. And then the last lesson, all three books, and this is the important thing to see in light of God's plan of redemption, all three books move God's plan of redemption forward by restoring and preserving the nation of Israel who will usher in the Messiah. But we also need to see that all three books end with unmet expectations. And those unmet expectations are rooted in the reality that when these books end, they're still waiting on the coming Messiah. You know, they, they, they don't have a king. Uh, they're still struggling with adversaries and opposition. And so it's very, very, and even struggling with their own sin and compromise. Uh, it's, it's, it's sort of sad that especially Ezra and Nehemiah, both books end on a sour note with the people falling back into sin and, and compromise. And so it's very, very obvious uh, that th these three books whet our appetite uh, for the need of a Messiah. 
and uh, in desiring to see that uh, redemption come. So I encourage you to take those uh, sermon notes and review them this week so that you sort of have some good background to these three books. And then next week, we'll begin right into uh, Ezra uh, chapter 1.